0: Welcome to Climate Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Europe's climate tech revolution, brought to you by Clementum Capital. I'm Johan Bernot, a general partner at Clementum, and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll have one of Europe's top founders and investors, and we will try to understand how they think about climate, what has led to their success, and what are the best insights they can share with you to accelerate your climate journey. There will be a lot of terrific guests on this show and we won't shy away from spikes secrets and contrarian views to make sure you don't miss out on any episode and access all the insights you can subscribe at climateinsiders.co so ulf welcome to climate insiders thank you for having me so can you describe how way out works and how you you manage to relocalize that actual production of water.
1: Yeah, I think, first of all, it brings me to a quote somebody said, like, packaging is a design error. And there's some truth in that. And I think we have also been inspired by the fact that there's a lot of movement, industrial movements and and production movement from large scale to small scale to centralized to distributed. You can see internet is one area. You can see power generation is one area where you see microgrids coming up. And I think that This is how the world will look like if we're going to stay as humans on this planet to have a distributed, more resilient, more fair, more reasonable way of dealing with our resources. So the way out concept is almost like brought from an idea like when to consume or to produce where you consume. Imagine you have a watermelon and you put the straw and then you consume it, don't chip it somewhere. You, you actually pr- produce directly where you're supposed to consume. So our idea is built actually of three parts. We call it a micro factory. It's a small plant that is actually doing the treatment from any kind of source water, whether it's seawater or brackish or borehole or industrial waste, gray water, any kind of water that flows. We treat it in different steps. And then we remineralize it so that it has the right table of content for taste preference, but also for nutrition. So that's the first part in the microfactory. And then we are filling kegs for a micro distribution in a small circular area. To avoid, let's say, distribution large scale, we do it small scale. And these vessels are made of Food grade stainless steel instead of plastic. And they are all connected so we can see and improve the last mile delivery efficiently. And then the kegs, we call them kegs, they move into a dispensing point where we have developed a smart dispenser to make sure that we have a perfect integrity when we are at the consumption point. So there is a mechanical handshake, digital handshake. You know that it's safe. You consume locally, whether it's in a school, hospital, office space. Household, event space, or whatever you consume it, the vessels then goes back to the microfactory and we clean it inside the microfactory before filling without chemicals and with an ozone technology, which means that it's low power consumption, no chemicals, and it's a total circular system. So avoiding the major transport, avoiding the plastic, avoiding the chemicals, and producing it low.
0: How can you ensure with that system that the bacteria and all the undesirable elements are gone from that water? Do you have multiple modules that actually operate this filtering, and you can entirely rely on this?
1: Yeah, I mean, our the engineering team behind this is also have done this kind of water system for the last twenty years in the pharmaceutical industries. So we're pretty on safe ground here, but obviously we also have an IoT connected system, so we can constantly following the quality of the water. But the quality of the integrity is made by design, so that's something we have designed so that we. We know that it's not possible even to tamper with. There is no possibility to enter into the vessels by, by any kind of biological means.
0: And what about the minerals? You mentioned that you inject some sort of minerals that are actually required in most parts of, of the world for drinking water. What type of minerals are we talking about? And side question, I have a Brita filter at home, and I've, I've been told that it also filters out The good minerals is that is that true?
1: Yeah. First of all, if you have a good filter system like ours, you filter out basically everything. You're filtering out PFAS, microplastic, hormones, all dangerous chemicals that is actually not filtered out even in our beautiful tap system in the country where I live and probably where, where you are as well. So we are filtering out basically everything, and then you're filtering out the minerals as well. And if you have a water without minerals, and if you have a distilled water, a super clean water, it's basically dangerous for the body, it's corrosive, and it will deplete you with the minerals you need for taking up the nutrition in your food. So we need to add the right mineral for getting a healthy water profile, but obviously also for taste preference. So we're adding the necessary minerals in a table of content, and you would find magnesium, you would find all the necessary minerals there. And we can even tweak that in terms of local preference. Imagine you are in an area where you have a lack of calcium, or where you have a lack of magnesium, or whatever. We can introduce that into our system and make sure that you get, a, let's say, an improved health factor in that area as well.
0: I wanted to get that straight. So you're saying that even in parts of the West, we do not filter out hormones and some of the.
1: Yeah, I give you one horror story almost like if you're writing a regulation on what to filter out our country or globally in the world, you need to specify what chemicals to filter out to make it regulatory, let's say safe. And imagine most of our regulations are from the 70s or 80s. In the United States, it's probably from the 70s. Here, it's maybe 80s or 90s or whatever. And then you're making a list of the dangerous chemicals available out in the market of what we find. Most of them are developed after the regulation has been made, which means that from a regulatory aspects the water is clean because it's we've filtered out the chemicals that we're supposed to filter out. But the new chemicals, the dangerous ones, and I can just mention one cluster of chemicals, the PFAs, the forever chemicals, they're not filtered out because there is no demand on that currently in the regulatory frameworks. And these are sometimes very difficult chemicals to filter out. So I've been moving around in the world and preaching that the Swedish tap water is so amazingly clean. And obviously, it's cleaner than the, probably the plastic bottled water. But then I realized that my hometown, Uppsala, has a peak of PFA and, and the tap water. Oh. So I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't be preaching too much on areas that I didn't know too much about. So you will find probably hormones or pharmaceutical residues. or And I'm not sure to what extent, but it's getting problematic to keep up with the new chemicals out there
0: well so the well this is definitely good to know i was gonna you know transition to the the perception safety of plastic bottles versus tap but from what you're saying is it's just uh, still undefined but yet there's a host of microplastics in in plastic bottles that makes it a killer in itself.
1: Yeah, I mean, if some of the plastic bottled water companies obviously have a very clean uh, water uh, uh, production facility, and they produce fantastic water. Then they are filling it into plastic and destroying it because all the plastic bottles are leaching microplastic. Obviously, there is a lot of research on that. And. We were in Maldives some months ago, talking even to the government of supporting their ban on microplastic or single-use plastic bottles, which hopefully will come in the near future. But in this beautiful paradise island, they have some problems with mosquitoes. Uh, So there are a lot of mosquito researchers to try to avoid, uh, let's say, get rid of the mosquitoes without spraying with chemicals, because they're also concerned about the environment. And we talked to some of the mosquito researchers, and they told us that they have found out that each time you get a mosquito bite, you get microplastic in your blood
0: wow. <laughs> and in rich nations so clean tap water is widely available but on a global scale the bottle of water is just key to safe drinking water it's regarded as healthier safer as you mentioned than tap water but how can we win the psychological war of perception so that eventually even if you crack production of water locally but it feels like it's coming from the tap or open environment how can we win that war of perception
1: Well, that's a difficult one. I think first of all, the problem of plastic is quite obvious from many perspective. When we are traveling, we see big scrap yards of plastic. It's, we get information every day about plastic patches in the the oceans. We get this information. So people are getting aware that the plastic is probably not the best. Yeah. Solution. But I think on the other hand, you need an alternative. And I think that on our end, we are at an early stage of showcasing that. But I think that you need some good examples and you need some inspiring stories. And obviously, we cannot change that system by putting more problems to the market space. So we need to find solutions that are obviously financially more interesting. So it has to be cheaper than the plastic bottled water. It has to be equally convenient and it shouldn't be more problems. So one, one example is that there is a lot of under-counter filter system provided around the world. There's a lot of ideas of taking your municipal water and then you fine-tune it. And there's a couple of problems with that one too because if you're losing 50% of the water by the municipal system because you're filtering out and you have a losses in pipes and so forth, usually that's 50%. And then you have your under-counter system, you lose another 50 So basically you are losing 75% of the water resource if you have an under-counter system. And then th- At the second time, you're not really filtering out everything because you need a very robust, efficient filter system. And then probably you have to make it larger to make the economics works in that one. And then thirdly, the most important thing here again, and that's how to change the behavior, is that it creates some problem. You have to be the maintenance guy. You have to have a facility at home and you have to be the guy that you trust yourself to change the filter and stuff like that. So we need really good examples. We need scalable solutions with less problem and financially more interesting for the end consumer.
0: And I wanted to go back a little bit on the product and then we can talk about the economics and how we, how do we make this kind of system scale? Um, so the, the product is to visualize you're literally pumping water from industrial wastewater rivers whatever the local source is you're putting that into your closed system it does all the filtering it kills all the bacteria it injects the right minerals so you have pristine drinking water and then the user experiences they go to that container and then you know with their bottle you know or you you offer glasses and then they can just a little take it from from the tap is that the experience that you envision in the world or? In, in the future or or is the experience gonna evolve over time?
1: Well, we, I think the experience looks like this currently. So we will have, uh, we have currently these micro factory, we have the cakes and we have the dispenser. So our operator on the ground will obviously be the last mile delivery service. So you will have a tap at your home given mm-hmm. away by us or supported by us. Or if you are in a hotel, you will have our, our smart taps in every room, or if you are in a hospital, you will have them. We or our partner will come with the kegs and we'll take the kegs away when they're empty. So that's how it's going to look like in the first phase of our deployment. So you will have everything that we consume from our system will be consumed from the tap into a glass or into a personal bottle locally at the tap station, not at the microfactory, but at the tap station. And you can envision that for every microfactory, we can supply water to 10,000 people. So you will have plenty of taps out and you will have plenty of cakes out. And it will be similar to the five-gallon plastic water distribution schedule, but our water is cleaner and we don't have plastic and it's total circular. And then if we are putting ourselves in a little bit more visionary mode, obviously, as everything in our system is digital, we have IoT connection to the micro factories. We can constantly improve and make it more efficient. We have connected vessels so we can improve the last mile delivery, make it most, let's say, environmental friendly or fastest or or more most economically interesting. And then we have the consumption data on the dispenser itself. So we can compare it with health data and so forth. But as we are digitally until the end of the consumption point, we can work with subscription models. So imagine now when we have a bottle that is connected as well, and we're considering our water more or more or less like roaming water. So which means that you buy a bottle and that bottle can contain 1000 liter, you can subscribe it in your mobile. So we have all the apps for that already. But obviously, the infrastructure is not there. And then then you go to your local store, whether it's 7-Eleven or, or Starbucks or any kind of shop, and you go and refill your bottle instead of buying a plastic bottle water. And you do it on subscription. So, and if you have this infrastructure, then spread out, uh, you can basically go anywhere to fill your bottle. This means that for the, let's say, on-foot drinking of water, that would be the final solution. But we should also know that most of the water is actually consumed in the homes or in the office or in the hotel. So if we take our first solution, let's say just don't consider the bottle at all. We're probably gonna be able to phase out seventy-five percent of the plastic by just doing introducing that. The last twenty-five percent, or if it's twenty percent, is different in different parts of the world. Will be the on-foot drinking. That's kind of our future end game. But that's also very interesting for us because then we can really work with subscription model and really have this digital profile. And I think there is another interesting thought on the digitalization or the roaming of water. If you have a bottle that contains 1,000 liters, you will take care of that one, and you will obviously not toss it away, and you will not forget it or or, or anything, because it has a value. If you are given a stainless steel bottle today, well, I don't know, I have 10 of them at home because I've been given on different events or whatever, and they have basically only the value of the bottle itself, so it's quite easy that that one becomes a single-use one too, or a multiple-use, but not too many times. But if we can create some value in that bottle itself by adding plenty of liters into it in a subscription model, we can probably also minimize the waste of that type of stainless steel bottle as well.
0: Thanks for painting us that that future. That makes sense. And digitization uh, makes a whole lot of sense for economies of scale and optimizing the flow. One of the key questions is in, in poor nations, most of the inhabitants cannot afford a container sized machine to produce their local water. So I'm thinking about villages. And so who can afford it? How will you gradually deploy your solutions? You mentioned maybe hotels, restaurants. So how can you paint us the flow of deployment? The
1: deployment for us, or the idea for us is to make this, uh, let's say, future-proof drinking water, a future infrastructure. And we're not targeting specific group as an endgame. We're targeting everyone. And we have something we sometimes refer to ethicality in our, let's say, profile or our system. So it's the same quality where you are in a refugee camp in Darfur, or if you are in a luxury hotel in Dubai. But the way to reach that challenging areas with lower income is what, or let's say our strategy is to industrialize, is to make one size fits all and to industrialize and to bring down the cost. So that's one option. So we have to start somewhere where people can afford it and where our solution is well developed. And that is in office spaces or in the hospitality industry and basically in many parts of the world, but mainly in island nation or in insular situations where you basically maybe don't have an infrastructure or it doesn't work. It could be uh, on the Maldives, like I said, one micro factory on each island. You solve the whole island, the nation's water supply. Yeah, or it could be in a smart city in Dubai, expositor, because it's new infrastructure. So that's the starting point for us. Parallel to that, obviously, we are developing something that is more simple for for areas that is more challenging. It could be, an, uh, let's say, a settlement that might change over time, or it could be a refugee camp or something like that. Maybe we don't need this beautiful design dispenser, or maybe we don't have need the connectivity in the same way, but the water quality will be the same. So we're making the whole system less costly from a CapEx point of view, and we are also industrializing. So we see that our solution will be less and less costly per liter for the end consumer over time, quite rapidly, actually. And let's say supporting that, transition or roadmap would be the carbon credits. We have seen that most likely carbon credit will at early stage enable us to drop the prices of the water by 30-40% and the carbon credit most likely will increase in value and we will make our system more efficient so we will be able to get more carbon credits. There are talks about water credits as well, and I'm pretty sure that we will have some credit for cleaning up chemicals in the nature. Maybe that's in five-year time or 10-year time, but we will have that. So our machine could really be a vacuum cleaner for these kind of support functions. And most likely, we will have a situation where we can basically, and this is maybe too visionary, but basically giving away the water for free because we are getting so much credit for what we are doing. And obviously, we are on a commercial platform, and we believe that there's a need for, let's say, commercial sustainability. So the price might not be zero, but it can be very, very low. So I'm pretty optimistic that in the near future, we can reach out to basically anyone, anywhere, and having a competitive price against boiling of water, against carrying of water's kilometers, or against the plastic bottle itself.
0: Now, let's assume that you scale, your methodology takes on, and you start taking significant market share away from the big guys, the Coca-Cola, Nestle, Danone, PepsiCo. I heard of them. Yeah, they probably own most 75% of the market at this point. How will they respond? Can you even compete in terms of infrastructure, marketing, reducing water price, and really adjusting to the consumer spending power?
1: Yeah, I think we can. But I'm not sure that our end game is to have a conflict with these guys we can offer them a solution we can offer them a way out of the matrix that you have created themselves and our solution can obviously be used by Nestle or Coca-Cola or Pepsi or Danone and i would be happy to collaborate with with all of them to get rid of the plastic if that's the intention so that's one answer the other one is that we have at an early stage done everything we can to build up a very robust partnership around our solution. When it comes to production, we are partnering very, very deeply with Alfa Laval. When it comes to the IoT automations, the dashboards and platforms, we are collaborating with Siemens. So we're trying to find industrial leaders in each field that have the potential of supporting us going forward with infrastructure, power, production capabilities, capacities, and so forth. So I'm pretty sure that we are in rather, let's say, decent, good good situation. But when it comes to the infrastructure or the pricing for the end consumer or the actually value offer for the final consumer, we are very convinced that we can do it far more cheaper, better, and more convenient for people than having the plastic bottled water and even setting up a, let's say, plastic bottled water plant in every islands everywhere on planet Earth.
0: So that's interesting what you're saying is uh, you don't see a direct competition or you're not disturbing them too much. They might get inspired by your model and adapt it eventually. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have the water treatment facilities, right? Those are sort of municipality, government or regional projects. What is your long-term relationship maybe between WEA and those large-scale water treatment facilities? Are you looking to get closer to them?
1: Yeah, same same. there, I would say. I mean, in general, I think this is uh, the water challenge is too large to try to solve yourself it has to be through partnerships or the whole our concept is built on partnership when it comes to the municipal water is an interesting fact there as well because in many parts of the world the municipal system is perfect to make let's say semi-perfect water or almost drinkable water good for showers good for using other purposes in the household and other places but in most parts of the world, people don't drink it. So what we can do is we can become a very interesting partner for municipal, let's say, tail or end of their system to fine tune their water so we can use it for drinking water. We can even take a new uh, smart city development like Expo City in Dubai. They are using their municipal water for shower. We can take their grey water, let's say, recirculate what they call a non-conventional water resource, and bring that water back to clean drinking water, which will minimize the load on their municipal stations, which will increase their profit because they can have a higher profit at the drinking water supply at the at the end of this situation. And we can definitely minimize the pressure on the planet in terms of CO2, plastic waste, depleting water tables, and so forth. So it's a it's a really win-win situation for all.
0: Right. And you've you mentioned Dubai a couple of times. And could you speak about the role of the Middle East in your development and why that region in particular? Why now? And do you think it's because they're supporting much more visionary projects and they have extra you know surplus of capital to invest or is it because there's a real pressing need for them to tackle wa- water scarcity
1: I think you answered all of it yourself but I think it's it's basically like this that's a region where it's very very obvious that water is a critical issue for the nations so you you have it in your backbone or almost in your DNA that you have to have a critical view on water supply and water source so it's very easy to talk about water on the other hand, there has been a lot of, let's say, initiatives from the GCC area or Middle East area of bringing in the forefront of sustainable development. We had the World Expo there. The, it was the all talks was about sustainability. You have the COP28 coming up in, in Dubai. So there's a lot of both need and visionary thoughts about being thought leaders and in the forefront of the sustainability development. And obviously, it's because they want to, but also because they can So you're right. There is a lot of capital in the region, so they can do it. And also quite, quite obvious, they have been supplying the world with cheap energy or, or, or energy over the last, I don't know, what from non-renewable resources, and they know that you have to change that from many perspectives. Soon the oil is gone and, and nobody wants it. So I think there is um, pressure and initiatives all over the place in that region.
0: Right. And to, to me, there is another holy grail solution to tackle global the global water problem. About 71% of the Earth's surface is covered in water, and the oceans hold about 96% of all earth's water. So why, how have, haven't we cracked desalination at scale? And isn't it the number one solution uh, to fix the problem once and for all?
1: I think desalination plays a role. I think there's a lot of areas we need to, to address. First of all, I think it's the f- efficient use of water. We call it yield sometimes, we call it whatever. So we can't have system that weighs 75% of the water to get the drinking water. If you drink a plastic bottled water, it takes three liters to make one liter. Mm. It's a bad solution. Uh, we need to have an efficient system that goes for energy, that goes for water, that goes for food, that goes forever. Secondly, I'm pretty sure we need to turn to non-conventional water resources. We need to start figuring out the way to recycling the water and we need to culturally accept it. And whether that's grey water, whether that's uh, wastewater or industrial wastewater and reuse it again. So that's basically one thing. And then the third thing is obviously we need to use the the sea as a resource, and most important on island nations. Because what's happening, take Zanzibar as an example that's been overexploited by the hospitality industry, digging their own wells. So the water table is basically gone and it's flooding in salt water. So the, the water table is getting brackish, and that takes another thousand years to get sweet again. Meaning that if you have an a, a agriculture area and you want to do irrigation, you can't do it. So we're we basically killing our islands for another thousand years, so we need to figure out a way to. If we have this the pressure from the hospitality industry in certain areas, and even by growth of their own population, we need to use non-conventional water resources, and we need to address the desal. Possibilities, I would say. Our solution, the diesel, is already built in. It's one of the functions we have, whether we take it from the sea or brackish or whatever. So we, it, we're already prepared. for
0: that. Now, looking a bit into the future, under what conditions could weigh out solutions address the water access to the low income households? We understand you're starting with the hospitality in the nations that can afford it, and you will be able to deploy your units, provide access to a couple dozen, thousands of people, and then spread over time. But what about the low, the bottom of the pyramid, the low-income households, is there a future where they will be gaining some of the benefits of
1: your product? Absolutely. It has to be like that because we can't stop at one point and say that the rest of the people cannot have our water. I think there are a couple of ways to that. I think our first priority is to industrialize and to make it cheaper. Obviously, the first of its kind when you make something is more expensive. And if you make the same thousands of times, it's getting less expensive. And there is also new technology that can increase our capacity, that can improve quality and so forth so that we can improve over time. And I think that's one of the key factor for us that's in our hand. And I think that the other way is also to build other financial systems. And obviously, one of them is to, through financial engineering, you can Make longer depreciation times. You can considering it as an infrastructure that lasts for 30, 20 years. You will definitely decrease a pr- price level. You can have one unit that is actually supporting the other unit. You can have one unit in a rich area where part of, let's say, the uh, the revenue goes to an area where you basically cannot afford it. As we are digital, we can have totally seamless streams of revenues around in our own system. And finally, I think we will probably in the foreseeable future need to support the most vulnerable areas anyway, which means that that's through CSR activities, that's through government support. And let's say we get government support for half of our capex, we can reduce the price with 50%. So we are on our way of getting into a level of I mean, if we are at the price level today of five cents a litre with a carbon credit, we may be at three or even 2.5. And if we can have a longer depreciation time, And if we can get financial support, we can be down at maybe one or less. And that's when we are in an area where we can basically give away the water for free, whether I don't really like that way of because it's not really sustainable, but in some areas it's necessary. So I think that we have with our technology and with some financial engineering and some other financial support, we can probably address the water uh, can supply water to anyone
0: it it seems like or rather is it's a question is this something that you've baked into the culture of your company to look at the problem in two ways there's a lucrative avenue that can be very lucrative i don't know how much of the economics of uh, you know each unit you could share but it could go ballistic very quickly if you scale and you know create word of mouth and then just a acquisition channel just, to, you know, goes on in the hospitality industry alone. And then, but you also looking at the bottom side, the sort of subsidized avenue. And is this a, a lesson for other organizations in, in the climate tech space to look at it from uh, the cash cow, you know, subsidize the rest of the avenue that can impact the millions of people?
1: I think it has to go hand in hand. I mean, we are a commercial company, we need to have a good sustainable profitability. That's key for what we're doing. But on the other hand, we want to address the whole uh, let's say water challenge. So we need to find ways of doing that. So that's built into our ambition and the let's say that the the economics or the reason for profit is more a hygiene factor. We are here to change the way of producing and distributing and dispensing water. And we want to do that for everyone. And obviously, we need to do that through a sustainable financial project or company. And I think that it just goes hand in hand. It's probably inside our DNA and reason for being.
0: Well, Here, here, we're running out of time, Wolf. I'm sure we could uncover so many topics. Maybe we do a rain shake for another time to see in in a couple of years how your business has evolved and whether this vision has materialized. It's a fascinating journey. But thanks so much for this great conversation.
1: Thank you so much. And come to Dubai and see our unit. Water is on us.
0: Uh, thanks so much. And to all of you guys, thanks for listening. Again, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter at climateinsiders.co to stay updated on future episodes. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Climate Insiders, the leading climate tech podcast in Europe. If you've enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Climate Insiders is brought to you by Clementum Capital, a late C to Series A climate tech VC. To learn more about Clementum Capital, apply for funding, or become an LP, visit clementum.com.